What's up, MLB Morning Coffee listeners? We have our first sponsor. Please welcome to the show, Sit Stay Paul. Is there a better feeling than walking through the door and seeing your dog so excited to see you? There really is nothing better than a happy, healthy dog. Sit Stay Paul, Boston-based dog treat company, focused on all natural, healthy ingredients, is dedicated to helping dogs live happier, healthier lives. At Sit Stay Paw, they treat dogs as part of the family and understand you do too. That's why they use the highest quality all-natural ingredients in each dog treat. Each recipe has been developed along board-certified veterinary nutritionists and is packed with the flavors your dog loves and the nutrition they need. Stocking stuffer ideas? Do your friends have dogs? Sit Stay Paw's Blueberry Pancake Chewies are made with real blueberries full of antioxidants, fiber, and vitamin C and K the perfect stocking stuffer dip for your friendly pooch. Their carob chip chewies are a natural sweet treat your dog will love, full of vitamins A, B, D, calcium, iron, magnesium, everything your dog needs. For the next four weeks, listeners can go to sitstaypaw.com. That's www.sitstaypaw.com. And on Facebook and Instagram, at sitstaypaw. And use code MLBCOFFEE. That's right, MLBCOFFEE. For 10% off your first order. Take a pic, throw it on the gram, get your dog on the Sit Stay Paw Instagram. Sit Stay Paw, go get your dog a treat. Now, on with the show. Oh, baby, welcome on into MLB Morning Coffee. Happy holidays to you and yours, whether you celebrate Christmas, which is a few days away, celebrate Hanukkah, which just passed a few days ago, if you celebrate Kwanzaa, or hey, we've got Festivus coming up in just a couple of days. Gonna get out that big shiny metal pole and give our feats of strength and air our grievances. That's an old Seinfeld reference for those of you that don't get it. But anyways, we are brought to you by Sit Stay Paw. Go to sitstaypaw.com, enter promo code MLBCOFFEE at checkout, and receive 10% off your first order. That's sitstaypaw.com, promo code MLBCOFFEE, and receive 10% off your first order. We haven't done a show for a while because there really isn't a whole lot to talk about. The hot stove is about as hot as a lukewarm cup of coffee. I mean, I drink lukewarm cups of coffee all the time. You know, I'll make a coffee in the little Keurig machine that I have on my desk, and I'll get caught up with something else, and then I'll sip the coffee and realize it's a little bit warm, but it's not that warm. Like, I'm about to take a sip of a cup of coffee right now. Actually, that coffee is still pretty warm. I guess I only brewed it a few minutes ago, but you had enough cream to it, and it probably gets a little bit colder. But anyways, we don't have a ton to talk about. I want to go over a couple of free agent signings, a couple of stories, and then I want to talk about the significance. And I know that this is old news going back to last week, and I'm sorry that I didn't get to it last week, but I got a lot of stuff going on in regards to work. I also do a podcast on the Chicago Bulls. That podcast is the Hoop Ball Chicago Bulls podcast. We'll be putting out a new episode tomorrow as well. And I would like to try and have some guests on this program once the hot stove starts picking up. I think I've abandoned the season in review. It doesn't really matter at this point because the season really, for a lot of clubs, didn't matter. People drew it up as a wash because it's 60 games. It's a small sample size. I mean, the defending World Series champions who only really lost one significant player from 19 to 20 in Anthony Rendon they were a last place team, and I don't think they were supposed to be a last place team, 
but things happen in a small sample size that don't really accurately reflect that team's ability as a whole. So I think that for a lot of teams in regards to their performance from last year, we have to take the small sample size model because 60 games, you can have a good 60 games or a bad 60 games, like the Washington Nationals in 2019, and I know we've gone over this before. They are the example of a team that had a bad 60 games and came back, were the best team in baseball from the end of May on, and won the World Series. So we can't take last season as the say-all, be-all for the future of a lot of these teams. But what we can do is evaluate where teams are at this point and see what they can do moving forward to become a better team moving into 2020. Or rather, I should say, moving into 2021, I keep forgetting that the 2020 season already happened. This year has been weird. But anyways, let's get into a few news items, some free agency news, and then we're going to talk about the finally overdue decision by Major League Baseball to adopt the Negro League statistics as Major League level stats. And I'll explain the significance of that and why some of the stats may change, but why it's also so significant that Major League Baseball, granted 80 years overdue, adopted the Negro Leagues as a part of Major League Baseball. Let's get into the Daily Grounds. White Sox manager Tony La Russa has resolved his DUI case in Arizona. He has pleaded to a lesser charge, fined $1,400, and required to complete 20 hours of community service. He was sentenced to one day of home detention. And La Russa's lawyer said, quote, that shows Mr. La Russa is taking this matter very seriously, and it is also indicative of the remorse he feels for having gotten himself involved in this matter. He also underwent alcohol counseling, said Lawrence Kazan, who is La Russa's lawyer. The White Sox hired La Russa a day after the initial charges of his DUI were filed in Maricopa County Court. Look, the White Sox were going to keep Tony La Russa around regardless. Basically, this is another scenario of a guy that knows a guy that can get him a lesser charge and pay a pretty minimal punishment for a crime that gets a lot of people put in jail for over five years. This was his second DUI. The law states that if he had gotten two DUIs in Arizona, he'd be going to jail for up to 10 years. His first DUI was in Florida, so the fact that it was in a different state makes all the difference in his sentencing. But Tony La Russa is the manager of the White Sox by hook or by crook, and he's basically on his last life. One more screw-up, and he's probably going to jail. However, the White Sox have seemed very lenient in their treatment of Tony La Russa, and we'll see how he responds to the Chicago media now that this is resolved. Again, since this happened, Tony La Russa has not spoken to any Chicago media. The only time he's appeared in front of the Chicago media was the press conference where he got hired and where it seemed like Rick Hahn was put in a hostage situation on a Zoom call and Tony La Russa staring into the Zoom camera with his White Sox hat and jersey on in front of a big White Sox background, assumingly at the ballpark. That's enough on Tony La Russa. I don't really want to talk about it anymore. I think the guy has proven that he is not a man that's true to his word, but I guess we're going to see how it resolves in the White Sox clubhouse and on the field in 2021. This is an interesting story, and I think it's significant because of what actually is going on in the NBA. The Toronto Raptors of the NBA are starting their season, and the NBA tips off tomorrow night, in Tampa, Florida, because Canada won't let them in. 
Why do I bring that up? Because the Blue Jays had to play their entire home schedule in Buffalo this past year. And Charlie Montoyo, the Blue Jays manager, says that the number one question that he is getting is where the Blue Jays are going to play. Montoyo said on Friday, quote, the number one question is if we're going to play in Toronto. That's rightly so. Our answer is, yeah, we're hoping so. So far, there's no certainty as to whether or not Canada is going to let the Blue Jays back in for the 2021 season. It also remains to be seen when the season is going to start because there are a lot of people that believe that the 2021 MLB season is not going to be a full 162 games. We do have a Sunday night baseball schedule that has come out, at least the first part of that. We'll get to it in the next segment of our show. And that schedule assumes that we will have a 162-game season unless they're going to shorten the season on the back end. Now, I don't think anybody understands what the COVID vaccine distribution is going to do to how MLB schedules the season, whether or not fans are going to be allowed, and what the timeline of the season is. So for potential free agents to ask, where are the Blue Jays going to play in 2021, is a very fair question. Canada has said that it is going to lift its travel restrictions to the United States, funny enough, the day after Joe Biden is inaugurated as president of the United States. I think that that's a really funny little bit of trolling by Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, but it basically says that Canada might be open for business again if these restrictions are lifted. So that gives some hope that the Blue Jays are going to end up going back to Toronto for the 2021 season. But at this point, it is all still in limbo. The National Hockey League actually realigned their divisions so that there would be an all-Canadian division and teams could play in home arenas for the 2021 season. And it's 2021 because they are not going to play games until January 13th. So you see what the NBA has done with the Raptors. You see what the NHL has done with their alignment. There's only one Canadian baseball team. So the Blue Jays either have to play in the United States or play in Canada. Time will tell what Toronto is ultimately able to do. The Tampa Bay Rays have made a couple of free agent signings, bringing back Mike Zanino and signing Michael Waka to a one-year deal. Waka in his one year with the Mets was abysmal. He went 1-4 with a 6.62 ERA in 34 innings. He struck out 37, walked 7, but he gave up 9 homers. 9 homers in 34 innings is not good. Waka was a stud with the Cardinals from 2013 to 2015. He had a career-best 17-7 record in 2015, making his only All-Star appearance in 181 innings that season. He struck out 153 and walked just 58. But Waka really struggled in his final three years with the Cardinals. In 2017, he was 12-9 and and he had a 4-1-3 ERA. In 2018, he only pitched in 84 innings. He had an 8-2 record with a 3.20 ERA, but 2019 was the straw that broke the camel's back. He actually made five bullpen appearances that season, going 6-7 with a 4.76 ERA, ultimately jettisoning him from St. Louis. He is going to try and find what he once had down in Tampa Bay, and knowing how they function with pitchers, it is very understandable why he would want to go to Tampa Bay to revive his career. 
As for Mike Zanino, he comes back on a one-year deal. They had non-tendered him initially in order to avoid arbitration. Zanino had a rough season with Tampa Bay, hitting 147 in 28 games, but he has done a great job handling the pitchers. I think that Tampa Bay wanted some continuity. He has only played over the span of two seasons combined, 118 games. In 2019, he hit 165 with nine homers and 32 RBI. His final two seasons with the Mariners, he hit at least 20 homers in each of them, and Zanino has really never been a guy that has batted for a high average. He's only hit above 250 once. That was in 2017. His other yearly averages... 214, 199, 174, 207, 201, 165, 147. He is not the guy that you're going to expect to be a high-volume hitter as an offensive catcher. But I will say that Mike Zanino provides a value to what Tampa Bay tries to do pitching-wise, and having that continuity behind the plate is going to make the Rays that much more effective moving forward. I will say this. You replace Charlie Morton with Michael Waka. You get cheaper, you get younger. But a 1-2-3 of Snell, Glasnow, and now Michael Waka? I think that that's a pretty solid move, to say the least. Couple of other free agent signings that I want to run around the horn with. Alex Claudio signs a one-year deal with the LA Angels last year in 20 appearances with the Brewers. He had a 4.26 ERA, no record. In 19 innings, he allowed just two home runs, nine earned runs, 15 strikeouts to six walks. He is a lefty specialist, a loogie, as they like to call him. But with a three-batter minimum, his role has been somewhat expanded. But Alex Claudio... Pretty high-value reliever for somebody that's been around for quite a while, most of his success coming with the Texas Rangers. Anthony DeSclafani finally leaves the Cincinnati Reds. He signs a one-year deal with the San Francisco Giants. He had a very rough 2020 season, 1-2 record with a 7.22 ERA in 33 and two-thirds innings. He struck out 25, walked 16. His best season in Cincinnati probably came in 2019, where he pitched 166 and two-thirds innings, 9-9 record with a 3.89 ERA, 167 strikeouts. He had a solid year in 2016, albeit just 20 starts, 9-5 record with a 3.28 ERA over 123 into third innings of work. I actually had a chance to see Anthony DiSclefani on a rehab start when he was with the Dayton Dragons back when I was broadcasting for the Clinton Lumber Kings. DiSclefani is a very low-risk signing for the Giants, your typical Farhan Zaidi signing. Final signing I want to go over, David Dahl signs a one-year contract with the Texas Rangers, leaving the Colorado Rockies, who he was with for the first five years of his career. David Dahl had his best season in 2019, where he hit 302 with 15 homers and 61 RBI. He made his only all-star appearance, had a solid 2018 season, 273 average, 16 homers and 48 RBI. Dahl has had a lot of problems staying healthy over the course of his career. Played in just 24 games last year, hit 183, no homers, 9 RBI. Very low-risk signing for Texas, who is trying to rebuild on the fly and put together a competitive team for the 2021 season. So hats off to the Rangers for picking up Dahl, who I think is a very high-value signing. Former 10th overall pick out of Oak Mountain High School in Birmingham, Alabama. That is it for us on the hot stove. Now let's talk about our story of the day. 
So basically, what Major League Baseball decided to do a couple of days ago is to recognize Negro League stats as being Major League level statistics. For years, the Negro Leagues were considered a separate entity from Major League Baseball, even though they were the equivalent of the highest level of baseball for any African American, because until Jackie Robinson broke the color barrier, African American players were not allowed to play in Major League Baseball. And so the Negro League served as their own Major League Baseball. But because Major League Baseball wouldn't allow African-American players to play, the Negro League served as their Major League Baseball. And for years, Major League Baseball did not recognize the Negro Leagues as being on the same level as Major League Baseball. The thing about that that's so hypocritical is that some of the greatest players of all time played in the Negro Leagues. Satchel Paige, Larry Doby... Josh Gibson, and Buck O'Neill, just to name a few. Now with this announcement, Major League Baseball is saying that all of these statistics count as Major League level statistics. So you're going to see the record books start to change, and now you have an acknowledgement that the Negro Leagues were on the same level as Major League Baseball. Very much how you look at what Major League Baseball looks at as the first statistics of their game, It's all of those games between the Reds and the Cubs back in the 1880s. It's historically significant because it puts the Negro Leagues on the same level. Now, that's not to even go into the fact that the only reason the Negro Leagues existed is that Major League Baseball segregated African-American players away from their game. And then eventually, once the color barrier was broken, then the Negro Leagues started to dissolve and African-Americans became a full part of Major League Baseball. This past year, we celebrated the 100-year anniversary of the founding of the Negro Leagues, and Major League Baseball did a relatively good job, and its players and other people around the game did a good job of acknowledging the historical significance of the Negro Leagues. How the statistics will be implemented remains to be seen. How the record books will change remains to be seen. But here is the press release from Major League Baseball in regards to the announcement last week. And again, I know I'm getting to this a little bit late, but I wanted to make sure that I do get to it. So here's the press release from five days ago. Commissioner of Baseball Rob D. Manfred announced today that Major League Baseball is correcting a long-time oversight in the game's history by officially elevating the Negro Leagues to Major League status. During this year's centennial celebration of the founding of the Negro Leagues, MLB is proud to highlight the contributions of the pioneers who played in these seven distinct leagues from 1920 to 1948. With this action, MLB seeks to ensure that future generations will remember the approximately 3,400 players of the Negro Leagues during this time period as Major League Baseball caliber players. Accordingly, the statistics and records of these players will become a part of Major League Baseball's history. This long overdue recognition is the product of evaluation throughout the year, which included consideration of discussions with the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum and other baseball entities, the previous and ongoing studies of baseball authors and researchers, the 2006 study by the National Baseball Hall of Fame, the Negro League Researchers and Authors Group, and an overall historical record that has expanded in recent years. Press release goes on, has some quotes from some significant people, and at the end, the seven leagues were the Negro National League from 1920 to 1931, the Eastern Colored League from 1923 to 1928, the American Negro League in 1929, the East-West League in 1932, the Negro Southern League in 1932, the Negro National League, its second entity from 1933 to 1948, and the Negro American League from 1937 to 1948. 
So there you have it, everybody. I think it's really cool. I'll be very interested to see how the review process goes. MLB has partnered with the Elias Sports Bureau in order to do that. And I am sincerely hoping that all that needs to be rectified is rectified. And we'll start seeing these statistics sprinkle in on baseball reference. We'll start to see them sprinkle in inside the record books. And we will have full accountability for what Major League Baseball has actually decided to do with these Negro League statistics. But I think it's also going to educate the baseball public on the history of the Negro Leagues. Because I'll admit that I don't know enough about them. I don't know enough about the history of them. I don't know about the significant players in them. It's on all of us as the baseball viewing public, the baseball historians that we all consider ourselves to be. And I consider a lot of people that listen to this podcast to be baseball savants, to be baseball nerds, people that love getting into the weeds. That's why I do this podcast. I do it for the simplicity of it, but I also love getting into the weeds on it. I'm a baseball nerd. Baseball is my first love through and through. And I hope that everybody that listens feels the same way. So we're going to be doing some follow-ups on this. I promise that to you because I think it is worth talking about in the baseball lexicon of how the Negro Leagues became a big part of our baseball history. Because we cannot talk about baseball history without talking about the significance of the Negro Leagues and how they paved the way for the future of African-American baseball players in MLB. That is it for this edition of MLB Morning Coffee, a production of the Ocean Avenue Studios. Again, we are brought to you by Sit Stay Paw. Go to sitstaypaw.com, enter promo code MLB Coffee to get 10% off of your first order. Have a great rest of your day. Have a great holiday season. And as always, we will catch you next time.